Hello and welcome to the Hitman's Last Great Year, a Smack Attic podcast project. We are talking about Bret Hart's final year in the World Wrestling Federation, which roughly lines up in 1997. I'm your host, Matt Vaughn, and each week on the podcast, I have a guest co-host with me. And uh, this time, I got with me JW, Joel Willick, is with me. How are you doing, Joel? Oh, I, I'm doing excellent, uh, Matt. I feel like through the holiday seasons, I had to fight through just as, as Steve Austin did, right? You just you just buckle mm-hmm. down and you grit your teeth and bear through it, even when you're passing out in excruciating pain. Man, that makes my family life sound awful. No, the holidays were great. It does. I just usually <laughs> holidays are busy and, 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 and sometimes tough to get through because you're always on the go. But it was great. That's right. I love the holidays. I love my family. And I love Bret Hart and Steve Austin. That's right. Who in some ways are my family? And actually, you know what? Family and the holidays features into our bonus match. We'll talk about a little later on tonight, Joel. Absolutely. Uh, and we're talking about uh, Raw is War from March 24th, 1997. This was a live show from the Rockford Metro Center in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, and I, my, as far as I can tell, this was a sellout. And it makes sense because this is the Raw after WrestleMania. Joel, Raw after WrestleMania is like, it, it has become a beast unto itself where like, there's all this speculation about WrestleMania, what will happen. And then the next day, it's like the, the internet is always like there's fire ants underneath the internet with people being like, what is going to happen tonight? It's just like it, it's almost unparalleled. Does this show line up with that kind of modern expectation of a Raw after WrestleMania in your uh, in your uh, perspective? Not not slightly. That was that was no. my thought. It is it is not close to what that event has become. It's almost quaint. It's like cute what they what they do here instead, right? Like it's like yeah. so benign. It's like raw after Survivor Series, right? It, it, yeah. It's it's really interesting to know in the modern history what the raw after WrestleMania has become, and it's. I was thinking about it like when did that start? I, right? I thought of this too. Yeah, yeah. I was like. Because I was like, w- was there a time when it didn't really matter as much? And it's like, well, I mean, even the next year after this, 1998, I think that's when they gave Austin the new belt. And there's like, all hell breaks loose again. Because that kind of kicks off Austin versus Vince, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yes, that is what right? kicks off Austin versus Vince. And then I know at that WrestleMania, that was when X-Pac made his big return from WCW yes. to come back and yep. join D-Generation X. So I know there's some big moments from that Raw, so a year yes. from this one that I kind of go down in history. And I wonder, you know, if you watch lists or read lists of like big moments of raw after WrestleMania, like that one has a couple, right? So yeah, I wonder if that, that, one, that one's probably a bigger one. Yeah. I wonder if, 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 if maybe Vince and other managers saw that and were like, okay, we can do something. Like, this is an exciting time. You have a lot of really big, um, you have fans in place that that are really willing to give you that big pop and i know for a while though they didn't know how to deal with it right because i remember michael cole would always be on commentary where like oh it's a raw for wrestlemania where who knows what's gonna happen right like oh who knows how the fans will react all this sort of thing like it's always normally boo or boo who they normally cheer and right because i remember the one where really became i think special whereas like this is all this is a different crowd on that raw for wrestlemania was after wrestlemania 28 was that was that daniel bryan's uh 18 seconds is that 28 or 29 
I think it was pr- it was one of those because obviously thirty was big. Um, but yeah, 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 totally. Yes, yeah, I think it was twenty eight, and they they just hijacked that show because they were so mad at what happened to Daniel Bryan because it was these hardcore fans who knew Bryan Danielson from the Indies and knew this that he the great wrestler that he was, and for him to be treated in this the biggest wrestling event every year in that matter made them so mad that they just hijacked that show, right? Right. Where even it, it was it like the rock, yeah. they they hijacked the rock segment on that show. It was crazy. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. It just shows how over he was and how much of a miscalculation that whole thing was. <laughs> right? Where it's like it's like it's so it's un, like so undeniable. And it's like, oh man. So this is not yeah, it's not the exact you know the other thing I thought about Joel was uh, after WrestleMania in, in nineteen ninety eight, it's also like Xbox coming over, it's kind of right at a fulcrum point in the kind of uh, quote unquote Monday Night Wars, where it's like, you know, that's when WWF starts really cooking with gas, and that whole year is them slowly w- starting to win again. And mm-hmm. it's also like, hey, look, we have this big person come back, and that was considered a big feather in our cap. So it's like that one had so much, so much more focused on it. Like it was just a big old magnifying glass on that historically, yeah. whereas now it's kind of like, oh, here comes Alberto Del Rio came back or something like that. So yeah. Um, yeah, this is, and unfortunately, you know, we're, we, this is coming out after this year's Raw after WrestleMania. So who knows? Maybe that one, who knows what that was? Maybe that's a big, loud, empty fart of a show for all we know. But uh, it yeah. hasn't been. I can't remember a Raw after WrestleMania in the last going on, you know, five to 10 years now that wasn't at least interesting, right? Where you yeah. had something interesting happen, right? So, yeah, it's true. It's also a focal point. So it's interesting. So let's talk about this one. And let's get some context. On last week's episode of this podcast, we talked about WrestleMania 13, uh, which Joel alluded to there at the beginning as well. Bret Hart beat Steve Austin in a submission match, even though Stone Cold did not submit. He actually passed out. And afterwards, Bret Hart kicked Austin while he was down, and his heel turn was completed, and Austin's face turn began. Also, The Undertaker won the WWF Championship, thanks in part to Bret Hart, who interfered in the main event a couple times, causing Psycho Sid to lose. And uh, on episodes of this podcast where we don't have a Bret Hart match itself, we cover a bonus match. And this show, uh, you know, I, I've done a couple of uh, of shows with Joel, and it's always been a question of, like, is he going to get a good Bret Hart match? And it's been, like, the first one, we did the the um, the War Games. Uh, I, think, I think it was War Games 98. Uh, and that was, like, just felt bad. I was like, is he going to do the show again? Like, is he, is he, does he think he's I'm mad at him or something? Uh, this time... It's okay. I gave Joel a present. I gave you guys a present as well. Uh, we're covering Bret Hart versus Owen Hart at WrestleMania 10. You may, a good match you may have heard of. And uh, so we'll talk about that after we cover the events of Raw. So you have that to look forward to with that. Joel, was that, can I safe to say that was a better match than what I've uh, hit you with before? Yes. Yes, it was It yes. was very much a better match. <laughs> a welcome thing. Uh, so let's talk about what the good folks in Rockford, Illinois saw before the show. Uh, there was Shotgun Saturday night. And uh, I mean, it's not really too much to note here. We had Mankind defeating Aldo Montoya. Uh, Crush defeated Barry Horowitz, perennial jobber. Uh, Hysteria defeated Venom. Uh, and Hysteria is actually ECW super crazy. So that's worth pointing out because he goes on to be a guy, sort of. Uh, Jesse James defeated Sonny Rogers, and the new Blackjacks defeated Rod Bell and R.T. Williams. I'm always looking to see if these guys, these crazy jobber names, I'm like, did they ever amount to anything? Unfortunately, on this show, not really. Uh, whereas other times it's kind of like, oh, it's cool. This guy was, you know, he was a tag champion in ECW for a couple of weeks. It's like, that's, that's, at least, that's at least something to talk about. Uh, so let's get into it. Raw is War from March 24th, 1997. We begin with a thorn in my eye intro video. The dun, 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 dun. 
and it's great. And we have pyro, and we explodes, and we are live in Rockford, Illinois. And right off the top, I'm kind of confused because JR tells us mankind is the number one contender, and he will get a WWF title shot against Undertaker the next pay per view, which is at this point unnamed. And I was like, uh, what? Like mankind most recently, the night before, he <laughs> was in a tag team with Vader. And they lost by countouts, which is not typically how you determine the number of contendership. Crazier thing, I did a, a, a monocle of research here. Mankind's last singles match on television was a title match against Psycho Sid for the WWF Championship in Germany less than a month ago. So hmm. nothing about him being number one contender makes any sense at all. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, make any that, sense. That makes zero sense. They blame, I love it too because they're like, hey, WWF President Gorilla Monsoon has determined it. And it's great because it's not like he's not like a heel authority figure or anything like that. He's just an old guy. They can be kind of like, ah, he's talking about mankind. I don't know what to tell you. Bret Hart had a chance. Psycho Sid just lost it. No sense of Psycho Sid getting a rematch, by the way. That's not even that's not even being discussed. <laughs> not even a concept. I don't know why. So I don't know. Why, why not have mankind win a match tonight for that? Have mankind beat Psycho Sid? I don't know. Is that crazy? Yeah, like just just do something. Like it, it doesn't even have to be like this great storyline, but just do something to make it make sense for why someone gets a title shot. Right. Let right. me don't have me have this moment where Raw starts and my head turns a 270 degrees around as I try to figure out what the hell is going on. But that's okay. <laughs> They're just coming in hot. They are. In fair, I will say, uh, kudos to them. They are trying to build like. WrestleMania happened, and like within the first like two minutes of the next show they have, they're already telling you about the next pay per view. So, props to them for knowing how to try to sell the show to you. Like, by the way, buy another pay per view away, please. That last one didn't do too well. It's in your house. It'll be like fifteen dollars. Just go with us, please. <laughs> you know it's good. Uh, so we have uh, our first match: Owen Hart and the British Bulldog going up against the Headbangers for the WWF Tag Team Championship. Owen Hart and the Bulldog are our champions, and. Uh, Here's another thing. The the headbangers won a number one contenders match last night at WrestleMania. And it's like, okay, well, that's how you do this. We were told immediately how you usually get a number one contender. It's like, all right. Uh, <laughs> we're also told, again, more building for the show, the Legion of Doom are announced as getting a title shot against the champions of the upcoming pay-per-view in April. So it's like, okay, that's good. I don't know why why they would get that. And then we get uh I they we have a picture picture interview. Before. Legion of Doom at least won the night before. Do they also yeah, right? They were on the they were on the winning side of that uh, Chicago street fight. It's true. Yeah. And we have a picture in picture interview with them, which I how do you Joel, how do you categorize the end of this interview, right? Because it's this weird, it's like it, one part of it is like the most, you know, hey, what are you guys gonna do? It's like, well, we're gonna beat them when we have a chance to. And then, and then Vince is like, uh, what was it here? Yeah, he asked about the kitchen sink they brought to the ring last night. And it's like, I don't know, it's like awkward and kind of silly, and I feel like Vince is entertained by it. But I don't. It's just strange. That's a a total Vinceism. Like I I I can I can imagine how that conversation went when they did the promo the week before WrestleMania 13, and I think the Legion did. We're gonna bring everything, including the kitchen sink, to our match. Well, I think it was a line like that. And I could see oh, yeah. Vince in the back just being like, "Oh, they should bring the kitchen sink at WrestleMania and have them carry out the sink." And he. Just one of those things where only Vince finds funny. Right. Right. And, then, and so he has to then bring it up again and like talk about it. Oh, wasn't that funny when you guys brought the kitchen sink? And then yeah, and Hawk and, has to be like, yeah, we Hawk. did. Like pretty yeah. much. And then made some weird joke about 
that he didn't like that it was stainless steel. You would have preferred porcelain. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, what was that? Like, one of those things where you're just kind of like, well, the guy who owns the company just asked me a question. I have no idea to answer. So here's just <laughs> something. And they just laugh at it and they go like, what? And um, that I'll just say this. That's not the first time. Sorry, that's not the last time on the show that the aspect of the show being live instead of taped matters. Because I think also the end of the show, uh, the fact that the show is live uh, yeah. very much is a consideration for how the show goes. You can tell the show is live by the way that ending happens. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to get to that. That'll be good. Uh, uh, so, uh, yes, uh, Bulldog is in the ring, and he gets knocked into Owen on the apron, and Owen falls off, and Owen gets mad. And uh, so he leaves, and he heads up the ramp, and with his departure, we take a break. And these guys, you know, Owen and Bulldog, there's been tension between them. Uh, you know, Jim Ross every other week is always interviewing them, being like, Owen Hart, you said something mean to Bulldog recently. I wonder why. And Owen's always like, it's fine. I like him. We're good. I'm smarter than him. I'm the leader. It's good. Let's move on. And Bulldog's like, hey, what are you saying? What? What's going on? <laughs> uh, and so he bounces into him. Uh, and then we come back. And so instead of like, okay, so you're like, this happens. And then going into it, I'm like, okay, well, then obviously Bulldog will be not doing great. Uh, and Owen is gone. And we come back, and Bulldog is fine. Uh, we see a replay where he took the finisher of the of the headbangers and didn't lose. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then Owen is just back also. <laughs> yeah. Like, a full, yeah, that was like, me. <laughs> was not expecting that. You can kind of see, like, like I know people always complain, like, ah, oh, Vince, he's got all these, like, all these peccadillos and these preferences and stuff like that. You're kind of like, I feel like <laughs> Vince at some point was probably like, the important stuff should happen on TV. And you're kind of like, well, yeah, you kind of you kind of get it here where it's like everything that matters character wise just happened during the break. It's like, oh, that's strange. <laughs> so Bulldog eventually gets a tag in Owen and he gets a sharpshooter, but it gets broken up. And then Bulldog hits a power slam on a headbanger. Apologies to Mosh and Thrasher. I, I, I don't care enough to know your names. I just I don't you know, I could, it's not like it just uh, the amount of time I would have to do that. I'd like forget something nice my kid said to me once. And so I'm not going to I can't sacrifice those brain cells. Yeah, you got to work. Your brain only has so much. Got a kid right? over which one is Mosh and which one is Thrash. Is it Mosh? And yeah, I mean, like, or Mosh and Thrasher. Mosh and Thrasher. Yeah, mosh yeah. full stop. Thrasher with an, I don't know what I mean. They're very it's like somebody was like they did the equivalent of like an Alta Vista search for like punk. Back in the day, they're like, what are the what are the th- first eight words I see on this page? Like, uh, mosh pit, uh, they, they thrash around. Oh, there you go. Yeah, oh, okay, these are their names. It's funny. They're the only um, tag team or even just wrestler I can remember only being a fan of because I like their video game avatars. Right? They had some pretty, it's games. pretty wild ones. And I, and I, I liked, I was like, because I liked punk rock music at that time. Right, like I had those Punkorama CDs that would probably inspired this gimmick, and I remember being like, "Oh man, these guys are awesome!" And I kind of thought they were awesome, and then I remember then being an adult and then looking back and watching them wrestle, I'm like, "Oh, this this wasn't very good." <laughs> right, they do normal stuff, and they do like they do like a little dance in a circle, and it's kind of their whole shtick. Yeah, yeah, that's all we get to with them. So we have, uh, yeah, Brett, uh, Bulldog gets a power slam on a headbanger, like I said. He tries to put Owen on top of him, but Owen gets annoyed and he confronts Bulldog. So the referee, who's Earl Hebner, who loves to get involved, he gets involved. So Bulldog pushes him over, and that leads to a disqualification. So despite, uh, you know, the headbangers doing their best here, the uh, they don't get the titles. They do win by disqualification. 
And we, and then we we quickly ignore that match because the more important thing happens here where Owen and Bulldog keep arguing until finally after weeks and weeks of uh, near hits and like and some like full fledged like pushing during stuff, push comes to shove. Bulldog drops Owen and starts beating on him. And referees and officials have to run out to interview intervene as these guys just pummel each other. And Owen gets away and he grabs a mic. He says he's sick of this. And he challenges Bulldog to a match for the European Championship to determine who's best. And Bulldog's like, yeah, we can do that. I beat you before. That's pretty much how I got the belt. And Owen says, he'll show me he's the best there is, the best there was, etc. And uh, we come back from a commercial break. And Vince McMahon, he, he characterizes this whole thing as, as a divorce, really. He says, this thing is, it's finally over. Uh, although, you know, the, the tag titles are still very much around their waist. So I think they'll have to address how that will work. But, uh, yeah, things finally blew up there. It's kind of interesting to see Bulldog actually start to punch Owen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was interesting. It's always – I know it's predictable and maybe that's why they didn't, but it's like why not have that happen sort of at WrestleMania where they lose the belts at WrestleMania and right. then <laughs> – right, to build this and then the next night they come to blows where there's this tension and reason, right? It's, it's right. one of those things I, – I, and maybe it works because sometimes it's good to – actually, they are good together. They keep winning but they just don't like each other, right? And maybe that's a, also another way to tell the story. They almost wouldn't despite it. It's, you know, I will say it is one of those things that, uh, you know, sometimes people turn on each other. And it's like kind of obvious, but it's kind of nice when uh, they string it out for so long because you're kind of like, well, this could have happened a month ago. Mm-hmm. But they could essentially, it's like, it's it's the ultimate thing of like, whenever they want to pull the trigger, they can actually fl- finally pull the trigger and they just did it here. Yeah. So that's, so it's, it's good. And it's like, oh, interesting. Uh, and then we, we go to the back. And the commentators see Mankind there, the number one contender. And he says his Uncle Paul, that is Paul Bearer, is gone. He is distraught. I was like, oh, it's weird. I don't know what happened with that. We'll find out. And we get our sponsors for tonight. We have Selsun Blue, which I think they still make that. They think that you can still buy Selsun Blue dandruff shampoo. But I feel like as a kid, uh, commercials made me think that dandruff was like maybe like the number three concern of parents. Like it's like, okay, we got to make sure that. Like, there needs to be food on the table, a roof over the heads, and, and God help us if there's any dandruff on our shoulders or anything like that. Yeah, the, the dandruff wars of the, the late 1990s. It's true, man. It's like, do you have your Pert Plus? Like, ah, I'm a Selsun boy. Uh, there's also an ad for the Discovery Zone, which is, they, they call it a place for kids to play. I had never heard of the Discovery Zone before. We have a, a locally here in Halifax, we have a Discovery Center. But I did some cursory internet research. And it appears it, – well, actually, first off, Joel, have you ever heard this before you saw this advertised? Uh, no. No? Okay, good. Um, and maybe I'm saying this to people. People are like, oh, I went to this all the time. Uh, it was kind of like a more educational Chuck E. Cheese, which is like – even saying that, you're kind of like, well, what was what was your plan for success there, guys? Like, would you – people were like, I like Chuck E. Cheese, but it's not – there's not – my kids aren't learning enough there. Like, I, it doesn't seem like that's the goal when you take them to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> uh, and so – the weirdest thing, I was like, okay, so they don't exist now. When did they declare bankruptcy? And Wikipedia is like, ah, oh, yeah, they declared bankruptcy in uh, 1996. <laughs> but it's March 1997. So whatever whatever rump state of a company they had in 1997, they were just kind of like, screw it. Let's advertise on national television. Let's go on Raw. Take your kids to... A, a smarter Chuck E. Cheese. You know, we know wrestling fans. This will work. This, this might have been their last great hope. The Hail Mary Pass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, we have uh, Bart Gunn is in the ring for a match, but then first we get Bret Hart 
who's up on the Titantron, and uh, he wants an opportunity to speak. And Vince says, okay, you'll get it. You have to watch your language. He's alluding to last week on Raw before WrestleMania when, uh, you know, Brett freaked out on Vince. He pushed him over. He swore. And this is also the first segment where Brett briefly references America, hinting at some character development here. So this is the first time we start to see something that will come in full a bit later on in the show. So we'll, we'll hit that a bit more when we talk about it. First, we got Bark Gun versus Triple H with China. And this is uh, Triple H is fresh off of beating Goldust at WrestleMania the night before. And, uh, you know, one of the more forgettable matches at WrestleMania 13. Like WrestleMania 13, uh, a one match show if there ever was one. Uh, Alfane, can you think of any other like pay-per-views that are like a one-match pay-per-view? Where it's kind of like nothing else. There's one good match, and there's just like truly, truly nothing else. Because there's some things where like, well, Elimination Chamber is kind of that, but it's like, but it depends if Elimination Chamber is good. I would, I would go the year prior in WrestleMania 12. Sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. The, the, the closest thing might be that street fight thing with that was so different, and I don't think they were yeah. selling the show on that. The the Roddy yeah, fight, really... old dust one. It it's interesting and and I like I have liked going back to revisit that match specifically, but yeah, that would have been oh, the yeah. selling point. And then yeah. But that's the one that really comes to mind. I'm trying to think of something in more modern. Yeah, I mean you do point out that they just don't know how to do they didn't know how to book WrestleMania for a couple of years there. They're just kind of like ah, they're just like snuck up on them. Yeah. <laughs> Really, for a long time, I feel like once Hogan, the Hogan era stopped, right, and they couldn't just keep relying on Hogan being in the main event, they didn't yeah. really know what to do. And they had so a couple yeah, of great matches, like obviously WrestleMania 12, Unreal, this WrestleMania 13, and then 14, they struck gold, but it took them then a couple of years then to figure out how to book a great uh, WrestleMania in the Attitude Era, right? Because like 14, those were just yeah. but fifteen and sixteen struggle. Sixteen's pretty good. I mean, the main event is a little bit not great, but you have that uh, that the 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 pre TLC title tag title match, and you have right. Uh, that show actually that show, that show's weird because there's no singles matches. It just it's there's like yeah, it's just it's like triple it's threat for tag matches, the main events, the four way. Yeah. Yeah, that one's that one's worth revisiting, but I think it is one of those things. Yeah, where they're just gonna like, well, and I'm, I'm sure this wasn't a conscious decision, but they're like, well, it's the attitude era. People are gonna buy the show anyway. It yeah. seems like that's the vibe, even though it's yeah, not, and like, 16, presumably not what they're thinking. You can see these great all timers in the mid card, right? Yes, and the, and well, then they do 17 the next year, and they're just like, it's like, oops, all bangers, right? It's like, oh, yeah. there's you know, we actually did a pick up a perfect show. The first year we don't really have competition, even yes. weirder. <laughs> it's like we celebrate competitions We're like oh hell we'll just have like a great show well, like the worst show the match on the show if you don't count the gimmick battle royal is like what test versus eddie guerrero or something like that is that who he faces seems about right but anyway it's crazy it's in a stadium it's amazing so yes wrestlemania uh triple hb called us there uh yeah, the commentators talk about how uh, in that match with Marlena uh, and Goldust, uh, Marlena was at ringside she got ragged all by china again last night and we have Goldust in the back for a little bit of an interview here. He's also with Marlena's empty director chair, which he had to bring and set up himself. It wasn't like she had it there before. <laughs> and uh, he's emotionally devastated. And he gets Triple H again next week, but he is hot about it. And it's like, dude, you lost the Rumble. You lost WrestleMania. I know it's just raw, but do we have to do this again? 
Can this feud die? There, there is there, there have been a few feuds where it's just like, my guys, please, can this end? I'm begging you. I know you can't think of other things to do right now, but you got to kill it. This is one of them. I wish it would happen. Uh, so, yeah, we have, okay, Barkun versus Triple H. Barkun, he runs the ropes at one point, uh, but China pulls the top rope down and out tumbles Barkun. And uh, China, outside, she body slams him, which got a big reaction. Uh, the commentators are, like, shocked by that. Um, JR says Barkun is 270 pounds. That seems too big to me, but Joel, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe he could very well be 270 pounds, but I just think 270 pounds seems like a huge guy. I guess he is in good shape though. Yeah, it's, I never know because what isn't Brock like maybe 285? That I think that's the one that does strike. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Is he only 15 pounds lighter than Brock Lesnar? Lesnar. I I don't think so. And I think. Especially at this time, the w- Vince McMahon loved loved the the uh, work and heights and work and weights, right? Where yeah, because like how 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 much did Yokozuna weigh in the nineties? I think I think they tacked on at least eighty to one hundred pounds. That's a good point. Did they ever and say he's already a big dude. Five, right? And then yeah, then some heights. I know they they exaggerated just a little bit. Yeah, I the, the, well heights. I even think I might have mentioned it last week. They talk about like heights of ladders, and you're like, that's twenty foot ladder. You're like, twenty foot ladder be hitting the rafters, guys. I don't know what you're talking. <laughs> like that's not those are te- those are like ten foot ladder. It's fine. Like it's yeah, good. These are already impressive like, heights. But like, yeah, you don't have to oversell like, it. But yeah, yeah. There's no way Barkun was 270 pounds in this match. 270. Yeah, it is. It is. This just showed kind of like a very innocent time where it's like, uh, like no, so China slams him and then he like gets in her face, but he's like he will not attack her at all because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. But then she grabs her on the waist from the back and she pushes him into the post on the outside of the ring when he's trying to get back in, and the back of the ring Triple H uh, pedigrees and pees him, uh, pees him, <laughs> pedigrees and pins him. He does not pee on him. Thank God. <laughs> That's a that's a gimmick change away your DX is right. I never tried to do that. Yeah, that, uh, that seems attitude era ish. <laughs> that's more that's British Bulldog, right? That's more of the dog kind of thing. So yeah, Barca not really doing anything. Um, yeah, would would, would otherwise ha, had there not been for the brawl for all, presumably we just have gone and had a quiet career in Japan, just gone from there. But he, uh, he he's gonna have a little bit more time in uh, World Wrestling Federation. Weirdly, what what's Bart Gunn's career after the brawl for all? Does he? Like obviously in WWE he kind of fades, but does he do more elsewhere? Like, does he do stuff in I Japan to, at that he, point? I, I think he goes to Japan. Yeah, I think he was. Uh, let's see, what we got here. Yeah, he did. Uh, he worked in New Japan up until 2000. Like up until 2004, he's working New Japan and All Japan like okay. consistently, like regular yeah, regular yeah. wrestler there. Yeah. Um, as Mike Barton, <clears throat> probably make good money there actually. Yeah. He's there like pretty consistently, and they're like, oh. Like you don't think about watching this now being like, oh, for sure, in seven years he'll still be wrestling in Japan, and like, and like at a pretty good time too. So yeah, good for him. And he, he retired. This last match wasn't in the WWF when they had when they had actually Joel. This is great uh, for our um, at our current time. It was the 15th anniversary Battle Royal that uh, that Barkun had his final match, and we were at the time of recording. Raw 30 is like happening right now. And so 15 years ago, he had his final match in the World Wrestling Federation. He was uh, in a battle royal, but Ted DiBiase came out on top. There were other people in there like Jim Neidhart, The Goon, Sergeant Slaughter, Scotty Duhati. So there you go. That was his career after that. Oh, interesting. Before that, he was in Japan. Yeah, that's true. He also worked for a promotion called Muga. 
Is that right? Muga? That doesn't sound like Muga World Pro Wrestling. It's still going today. Is that true? Muga? Never heard of it. It's still the shows. Okay, what do you know? What the heck? Muga. Apologies to all our fans who watch Muga Wrestling. It's a fun time for Japan. Um, yeah, speaking of wrestling, I don't really understand here. We have uh, Abismo Negro, El Mosco, and Hysteria going up against Los Cadetes del Espacio, which is Discovery, Supernova, and Venoms. These are these random AAA guys who, on the road to the Royal Rumble in 1997, they had a bunch of AAA guys there because they were in the Royal Rumble itself. And even now, they're just kind of farming out parts of the show, kind of nakedly competing with the Cruiserweight division, I would say. Give, last match I, I watched with you on, on our last Raw I watched with you on the road to Royal Rumble featured this play yeah. six-man tag match. Has there not yeah. been another one, and I just got the next one? Uh, well, there's been a little bit of stuff. There's just been little, little bit. bits and pieces that they ha- and they had they've done a lot of they've done some mini matches as well where they get uh, uh, Mexican uh, little people to wrestle for our entertainment. Of course. And, and Lawler makes a bunch of uh, very appropriate jokes. Oh yes, of course it, it would it would age like fine wine. I'm sure I'm assuming. Um, Thankfully, just, they're pretty benign. Yeah. I always find these matches so interesting because you like take these great athletes, these great wrestlers. And you just, I, we just need to fill 15 minutes of airtime, go and do your thing, right? But it's like you, you paid for these guys to come up. They're yeah. probably heroes in Mexico, right? right. Like people, that, and you're always, that's always a market you want to draw into. It just, it just always amazes me that you pay these guys, you're bringing them up, you put them on your show, and all it would take is like two minutes to just, make them feel like they matter and they're special and to tell the audience you should care about these guys because they're because then it's like nobody cares because nobody knows who the guys are they're reacting to some of the moves because they're doing cool lucha moves but then it's like uh i don't know who these people are yeah i mean the crowd is pretty much like told to not care about this yeah, like, like, like that's like no, no one involved in any way wants you to put any thought or any thought into this whatsoever. So it's like, all right, what, about, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with this? About Los Cadetes del Espacio, who are our Power Ranger ripoffs, I would say. They're kind of obviously Power Ranger ripoffs. Get just the gear here. Yeah. Also funny, I would say, I think Jerry even pointed out at one point, um, Los Cadetes del Espacio um, translates to the Space Cadets. And in my experience growing up, Space Cadet was like a euphemism for someone who wasn't all there. Like you were kind of like, ah, oh, like he's like, I, well, you know, what's his deal? He's like, oh, he's a real Space Cadet today. I'm not, I'm really not into this here, which is kind of uh, a little off color, I would say. I think now, I think there's a little bit of a lack of grace around people, maybe with special needs there. But all this to say, bit of a strange name in English to call them that, because that's my experience of that. That Space Cadet is often used uh, pejoratively. Hmm. I feel like that's the most close thing. I've I've never heard Maybe that. It is interesting. Okay, well, this me just being like, ah, oh, these real space cadets here. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, oh, Bret Hart is here though. He's during the match. He does a little picture in picture. He's asking again about his time to talk. I would say, Joel, I would characterize his tone as frustrated middle aged customer, almost kind of Karenish. I would say oh, as the absolutely, and that's yeah, that's kind of like perfect <laughs> characterization of this character. Right, that he's right. he's bitching and moaning and complaining the whole time, and and feels he's right in it. Yep, 
I'm reminded of working retail or other service industries where you tell someone something, an answer they don't like, and they're like, I thought I was going to get this answer. And you're kind of like, okay, sorry, Brian Hart, you're not going to get your answers. I will say, uh, Jerry Lawler pipes up at one point, and uh, Brett quickly and dismissively says, shut up, Lawler, which is always satisfying to hear. I enjoy that. <laughs> and Vince, Vince tells him, okay, look, you're going to get your time. I'm, I'm watching this match, too, so it's like, you know, this, this the six-man tag with these luchadors, and I'm like, I have no idea who's who. One team is all in black, more mostly in black with accent colors. I'm like, okay. That's good. I can figure that out. That makes sense to me. Um, there is a moment. I think Discovery is a guy who does this very nice moonsault from the top rope to the floor. And then another guy does a springboard moonsault from the top rope to the floor as well. I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool. Um, and I'm also watching this match being like, moonsaults are very common here. But if you and I, Joel, were in a, in a situation where we were like doing like, we were like doing dare. And you're like, man, I dare you to do a moonsault. I'd be like, whew, I'm going to die tonight. When I try that, like it was just a move that is is so normal here, and I would just be like, that would end my life. I would fall and break my neck easily. Yes, me no as well. way I wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's like, oh man. And uh, the match ends with a very tight diving hurricane runoff from the top rope. It's a one, two, three for Los Cadetes, which yeah, it was fine. I don't know, like it's it's it is hard. Like it, you know, I don't I don't always need to be like super invested emotionally in every match, but it's also like I need I just need more. Yes. Yeah. Let's see more from this. So we go to earlier tonight for just a brief little segment where um, it's before the show starts. And Vince McMahon is there. He's interviewing Rocky Maivia and Rocky's father, Rocky Johnson. And Rocky Jr., as I'm going to call him, gently gives his father grief for interfering at WrestleMania when he told him not to. But uh, Rocky Johnson says, look, I had to. And they just hug it out and it's nice. And that's kind of all there is to this. It's like a nice moment between a father and a son. Uh, also funny because Rocky's like, I told you not to get involved. It's like you were getting like choked in the ring. Like, I don't think like respectfully, no father's going to be like sit by and be like, well, you know, he made his bed. He's going to lie in it. <laughs> a bit more than that, uh, Rocky. Uh, and so uh, Honky Tonk Man is here. And you're like, great. Love to see Honky Tonk Man in here. And uh, he's here for Flash Funk versus the Brooklyn Brawler. Uh, the only thing I really enjoyed about this match was two things. Uh, at one point, Jerry Lawler says there's nothing fancy about the Brooklyn Brawler. And Vince is like, yeah, look what he's wearing. Which is like, he's beating like this, this ripped to shreds Yankee shirt. It's like, yeah, he's nothing fancy about him. He's like the biggest putz we've ever seen in our lives. And I just enjoyed that moment. Uh, and then I also like seeing uh, Brooklyn Brawler get beaten with a 450 splash. Doesn't seem the kind of guy who would lose by a 450 splash, but there it is. I, I also it's found an advanced it, move for that guy. It was an interesting booking decision to have Flash Funk go after the Lichadors. Right? Because yes, Lichadors did these amazing high flying aerial, like almost ahead of their time. And now they're trying to sell this Flash Funk as their high flyer, like a mid nineties right. high flyer where it's like, Oh look, he did a crossbody. Right. And you're like, he just he paled so much in comparison to what we just saw exactly it's it is very unfavorable to him it's like if you could do it like have him go first right yeah. the first have those guys in the second hour or something like that but it's like yeah he, was, he ends up getting done dirty unfortunately that's where that's what we kind of end up with there so it's true he's like he's fine but it's like yeah this is what you get every week it's not very good comparatively and so we go backstage we have ken shamrock uh who was questioned about stopping the bret hart steve austin submission match from the night before uh, and uh, he says, look, you know, I needed to step in to protect Austin. That's the job I was hired to do. And Vince asked what he thought of Austin. And uh, this is, you know, essentially just like be like, hey, she can't show her, like talk up Steve Austin. 
that Sherlock says, look, Austin's one of the toughest guys I've ever seen. And it was so this was I was was so funny. And something I was surprised by Joel was uh, last night, you know, WrestleMania 13, this famous double turn. And you're watching and you're like, well, Brett's kind of already a heel. And then after the match, every commentator is like, how about Steve Austin? What a guy. Wow. So courageous. I can't believe he didn't give up at all. It's like it's it's so clear they've been told to do the hard sell. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay. And it's like, and they're doing it again here too. Be like, talk about good Austin is, right? We like him, right? It's like we can try to get faces over by having them do stuff. Or we just say, hey, pretty cool, right? But I, I appreciated it because I liked the fact that Steve Austin wasn't on the show. Yeah, that's right. I was surprised by that. Right. And I so I liked the fact because sometimes I think WWE at times when they're booking these types of things get scared. And like someone will suffer an epic defeat and they'll just be back the next night. Yippin and yay and like John Cena always right. comes to mind in that where it's like, yeah, you'll suffer what they're trying to build the worst loss of his career. And he's coming back, running to the ring, throwing a hat. And you're like, well, I thought he's right. And with this one, it's like he got beat up so badly. Yes, he didn't. But he's not here today. But so what do we do to make sure? You know, people remember about him and we talk about how gutsy this performance was, right? So you have Ken Shamrock who who's been odds at odds with Austin and right, and just to say, Wow, that's a top one of the toughest guys I've ever seen. It's so simple, right? Yeah, and, and coming from him, it has a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say is that at one point Vince says tonight that uh Steve Austin was barred from the building. And I was like, Well, that he that did. doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah, he's I barred from the building. I just heard. I just assumed that because he got beat up so bad, he just wasn't able to make it. See, Weird. that would make sense. I think <laughs> they probably don't want to say he's in the hospital. Yeah, because you're like, well, you know, we don't, don't want to say that. But it's also like, Bart from the building is just like you. Don't, you I need a reason attached to that before yes. you can just kind of throw that out there. Otherwise, it's like he didn't do anything. Like Bret Hart should be barred from the building. He attacked Austin after the match. Yeah, but then that would that would cause problems for the next event, which is when. Uh, Bret Hart comes out, and this is where this is where I think the show kind of ratchets up a notch because uh, it's great. We have Bret Hart coming out. He's going to do his interview. He's announced by Jr. in the ring as the former WWF champion, and uh, which is great. Jr. is there as as though he's about to interview Bret, and Bret just snatches the microphone from him immediately because he's an asshole, which is great, and uh, he just gets into it. And Bret Hart starts off middle of the ring by apologizing to his fans. In Germany, and Europe, and everywhere else, but especially Canada. But to his American fans, he apologizes for nothing. He felt like he lost after he beat Austin just by the way he was treated. And he starts to list his grievances. He starts with the year before. He talks about he lost to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. Then to sit at home and watch the WWF be dominated by him. And Shawn's just not that much of a role model. And Brett, he hits one of the things he loves to hit. He says, he, you know, he posed for a girly magazine. And then he says, and I quote, actually, I don't think it was a girly magazine. I think it was a gay magazine. Brett loves to do that. Uh, if you yeah, don't, uh, Bret Hart, uh, lightly homophobic during this whole time. So if you're, you want to go back and watch that, just keep that in mind. 1987 was a different time. He's a he heel, sort of so stuff. he can be he, slightly homophobic. No, he exactly. can't. Although the fans are like, yeah, homophobic <laughs> is awesome. The fans I, are I also kind of. really took that back. I was like, even a heel can be homophobic. I'm like, nope, no, they can't. <laughs> right, I take exactly. that back. 
Although Sean, anyway, uh, Brett also, yeah, I lost to Sid at, uh, in December of the pay-per-view, but Sean interfered there. I run the, won the World Rumble, but Austin cheated. I, had to, I had to, thought about leaving. There's this Final Four match. There's this cage match. which knocks my head into that. Uh, he says, uh, uh, Shawn Michaels gave up his title because of an injury that Brett heavily implies was faked. Yes. Uh, which I was, was an interesting detail there. Uh, and then he says, and then I have this final other match with Steve Austin. I beat him. I bloody him. I win. And then Austin cheers. And Brett says, yeah, in the United States, they cheer on rule breakers like Charles Manson and OJ Simpson. <laughs> like Brett, Brett, I love you. And this, this, this is great. I've, I've never heard one person say a good thing about Charles Manson. Maybe O.J. Simpson, you, you could say more, but Charles Manson was was a bit of a uh, odd one there. It's true. I mean, it's funny. I had a you know past guest on this podcast, uh, Brian Campbell was here, uh, and he one of the things whenever I bring up O.J. Simpson, he always jokes. He's always like, "Yeah, I mean, it was bad, but he did rush for two thousand yards." So there was the one season there where he did that. That's you can't just pull, you can't just do that. It's like that's true. I Bret Hart pulling out Charles Manson and OJ Simpson are insane examples. I don't even like this. Sure, there's better example. Like you could be like I don't know rappers or other people or you know Bill Clinton. Uh, maybe a little too political, but like you could be people who yeah. you could ostensibly be like yeah they break the rules I and mean, Bill Clinton. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Anyway, very funny. And he says you know ultimately he concluded American fans don't respect him. And then here comes Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels says, look, you can criticize me all you want. People do. But I don't put up a facade like you, Brett. And then Shawn calls Brett Markman instead of Hitman, which is insanely insider language. Mm-hmm. Coming a mark for himself, essentially, there. Yeah, that's, and, that's incredible to have in this era of wrestling, to have a line like that kind of thrown out. Right, I, I feel yeah. like watch wrestling now, and it's all, like, insider terms have become the language of of the promo right right it, so yeah, it it's like the, ling- the, the lingua franca oh this is like a next level though this is like like sometimes they would do cheeky things but it's like if he was kind of like you're turning heel you're like whoa hold on a sec that's <laughs> that's a step too far uh, although mark man is at least the kind of thing where you're like most people wouldn't get it it kind of seems the kind of thing that like you're just you're you're hoping somebody who's paid attention to dirt sheets in 1987 would be like whoa what the hell yeah yeah we're getting there and so Shawn Michaels invokes the First Amendment, saying people can act any way they want to. And it's like, it's true. Bret Hart's not saying we should lock up all the people who don't act the way I like. He's just saying I don't like it. <laughs> That's a classic mistake. Bret Hart's just saying I hate this crap. Shawn, if anything, is kind of maybe going against the First Amendment here. I'm not a constitutional lawyer, but I take, I take umbrage here. <laughs> that, that's usually i think uh, a misnomer I'm, I'm canadian and i'm going to talk about american political discourse but i think that's usually a misnomer when sure. people talk about their first amendment rights like the only yep. thing that's protecting you is from the government putting you in prison for what you're saying it's not exactly. saying i can't come and say hey you shouldn't say that you're a jerk right it's like and so pretty much what bret hart's doing is exercising his first amendment rights by speaking out against the people he disagrees with. And then, and then Sean goes out, Hey, we have the first amendment here. And it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's what Brad's doing. He's exercising his first amendment rights. 
like, come on, man. You get like, if anybody here, I mean, we should be. There should be another wrestler who should be like, I don't look, I don't like what he's saying, but I protect his right to say it. <laughs> that kind of libertarian street kind of thing. That kind of constitu- What would that be? Constitutional, uh, you know, kind of like what are these? All these hardliner people. I'm not hardliner. This is people who, of good faith, who are very kind of like firm about the constitution. Uh, in Canada, it's kind of like we got a bill of rights. You shouldn't mess with it. Um, we do have a clause that says you can break it. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. The uh, <laughs> one of the stranger things, uh, and yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> Sean ultimately he's like, look, I, I would fight you. I am injured though, planting a seed, and he says, also he ends, he hits it with a America, love it or leave it. Yeah. And uh, Brett says, you should you should get out of my face, Sean. Sean's like, okay, I'm not gonna stand down. Sean even says, hey, how did you know I was in a girly magazine? You must have flipped through the pages a little bit, eh? And Brett is amu- he's he's facing away from Sean. He's like amused. Like, okay, good one, good one, Sean. And he turns around, and Sean's not looking. And he kicks Sean Michaels in the leg when he's not looking. Uh, Sean has an injured leg, to be clear. And he sets up a ring post figure four on Sean Michaels. And Joel, I uh, I loved it. I lost my mind. I was excited. I did I did a giddy wrestling fan thing where I'm like, yeah, 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 do it. Now this is great. I was like so into it. I wasn't being analytical anymore. And uh, it just made me feel something, and I was thrilled for it. And even though Bret Hart is being like a mega heel here, I'm like, this is great. Uh, and we have officials running out, trying desperately to pull Bret off of Sean, who's stuck in the corner in a ton of pain. Now, Psycho Sid shows up, gets stalks Bret around the ring, and Bret heads out and away from Psycho Sid, who stands in the ring challenging him. And I think we go to a break after that. But what did you think of this whole segment and of Bret uh, just being more openly heelish and, and being openly pro-Canada? Oh, it was it, it was great. Like I I really enjoyed that. Okay, yes, he's heel. We saw the heel turn at WrestleMania, but let's make sure we do a segment where that is for sure in our brains that they, he is a heel. But I just love like because growing up, I grew up Canadian. I grew up in Western Canada. Bret Hart was a hero, and never once. Did I ever feel like he was a heel growing up, right? Right. And and I don't know. Did you have that same when experience? Like, was was Bret Hart always the hero because he stood up for Canada? Pretty much. I mean, this is also a time where in Canadian culture, uh, if you wanted to be cool a little bit, you would be a little anti-American, yes. right? And I feel like that that changed abruptly after 9/11. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't think we've really gotten back there. There's all there's uh, Canadian culture is it, insanely influenced by American culture to an extent that's like, I, I, I don't know of any, like, I'm sure there's other like c- countries around the world affect each other in a major ways, but like the U S has this, like, we can almost never make an indent on them culturally to grassy would be one of those examples where, where we have in a way. <laughs> that's like one thing I think of, <laughs> uh, or like, or, or people we export, right. Where I actually this thought recently, Joel, where I was like, um, I was described. I was describing an actor to to my wife as like he's kind of like Mexico's like Will Ferrell, and I was like, who's Canada's Will Ferrell? And immediately I was like, oh, I guess it's like Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> he's like just in a movie with Will Ferrell. So I'm like, <laughs> I guess that's who we have. Jim Carrey would be another example. But like, uh, you know, the the I think I think what's called is cultural hegemony. That's a that, that's fully from a university class I took. Where yeah, American culture is so pervasive that uh, yeah, to, especially in 1997. If you had somebody who stood up and was kind of like, America kind of sucks and we're better, people would be like, yes, please. And there's a little bit like – there's an inferiority complex in there a little bit, right, where we don't have as much mo- – well, we have, we have enough money. We're just fine. It's not like we're like living lower class than Americans are. But, you know, we're less like – we don't – like we didn't have as strong a military at the time. 
Uh, we definitely don't, still don't, but that's fine. <laughs> you know, there's just these all these factors that are not uh, uh, leading to Canada being this big cultural force comparatively. So yeah, I mean, he was just like, yeah, it was like he was a hero. He was like, and, and especially because he was never like. Canada's okay, but the U.S. sucks. It was like Canada's the the greatest. He has some he has some great lines coming up here over the next few months that are like, like that are still like maybe the most Canadian like patriotic things I've ever heard in my life. I retweeted one recently on the uh, uh, Smack Attic page, but it's like unbelievable. He like talks about how like in Canada we don't shoot each other with guns, and to be clear, we do we do kind of shoot each other with guns. We just do it a lot less. So Brett gets away with it. So yeah, he's a, you know, he's he's a good he's a face in my mind, especially when you're when you're. You're kicking the crap out of uh, Shawn Michaels and possibly re-injuring him. Love to see it. I love to see it. Yeah, I and I just going back to your point, like I really, it's really nice when you catch lightning in a bottle in a wrestling storyline where the greater culture just works with what's going on. And I think that anti-American sentiment in Canada, not so much of like we hate Americans, but it's like we're sick of them not knowing who we are. Because it was right around that time that. Uh, for Americans, I might alienate you with Rick Mercer, who is a great Canadian comedian, started doing his talking to exactly American about right? Yeah. Where he would just go down to American cities and interview Americans and ask like ridiculous, asinine, untrue questions about Canada and get their responses. And it was just like, it was just absurd things that would never be true, but because they knew nothing about our country, they, but then they would try to act like they were smart and be like, oh, right. yes, I think, and then, like, would speak into it and, like, as if they knew what was going on, but it was a completely absurdist scenario that never happened. And so it was a way, and I, in Canada, we ate that up. Oh, man, we love that, right? So, and then when you have the Bret Hart versus America, it just, it works so well, right? We were eating up this content of, you know, Canadians being kind of tired of being the second class citizen to Americans and kind of being that forgotten younger brother that Americans knew nothing about. So there was this, it was anti-American sentiment, not in like a, we hate America. It was in like, we're sick of Americans completely forgetting about us, right. Of, of how important we are. Right. And then how great of a country we are and how great our people are. And so I think it really just fused so well with this storyline and, and it, it carried it and helped it. And it, and it was really great. And, and I'm sure you'll get into it, you know, going forward, how they were able to maintain that, right. They were able to maintain, he was a heel in America face everywhere else. And that, you know, because the things he did in this promo weren't, or in this segment weren't beyond unforgivable right like right. he he apologized to canadians and 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 all the european viewers and then kind of said the things that we had kind of been thinking and like speaking out against america in thoughts we've had right not saying they were right or true or just but just so it, it was based in a bit of of a real thought that was permeating in canadian culture yeah. So it just works so well. And yeah, he heelishly hurt Shawn Michaels when he wasn't down, but we didn't really like Shawn Michaels in Canada anyways. No, that's true. Right. <laughs> so, and then, and, and that helps, you know, in that feud, right? Cause Shawn Michaels was a big baby face in America. And then in, but in Canada, we didn't really like him, you know? And uh, yeah, so it's just, 
and then this segment just works so well of just solidifying that that's the way they were going with it right because you saw the heel turn yeah double turn awesome face spread heel but then this really solidified okay where is this heel turn going and it's oh it's going to be different than something we've seen before Right. It is it is funny because it is in part like it is the fans, you know, the, that, that kind of silly thing that wrestlers do when they say, I believe the fans for this. But uh, there's there's another, there's more spin on the ball than there usually would be. I think mm. the thing the, the important thing here, too, uh, like it comes at a perfect time. And like the 90s, this perfect time where the Cold War is over and September 11th hasn't happened yet. So things are like it's like, hey, things are good. You know, like if you're like like, you know, if you were like America sucks, you're like, why? You're like, ah obesity you're not like well they're they're geopolitical handle on things or trump or these other like these things that that bubbled up in the years since then uh or or obama uh for that matter and so uh yeah it's it's coming at this absolute perfect time yeah and and when you there's a good uh saying with 90s and movies that 90s was the the decade of cubicle movies right Mm. there because there was nothing that like spurred on creativity that had in the past, like the cold war and the fear of nuclear Holocaust and different things that had spurred on media and entertainment. And then in the nineties, everything was good and everyone was working in offices and it was like creativity out of the mundane, right? You think of some of the great movies of the nineties, the matrix office yeah. space, the uh, different fight club, right? They're all about, this like mundane life where you actually don't have fears or things to worry about. And that was, that was definitely the nineties. Right. It's almost like, uh, you know, there's all these sorts of talks about like different, different ways drama exists where it's like man versus man, man versus nature. It's like man versus, you know, himself in the sense of like, you know, this mundanity just cr- is created for ourselves. Like mm-hmm. the nature is this corporate nature around you. Anyway, it's all very interesting. We could, with Jill and I are going to do, we'll start, just start a movie podcast here. Growing <laughs> out of this little spinoff. Um, but yeah, first, you know, speaking of coming down at the perfect time, here comes Rocky Maivia, comes down to the ring, and uh, we don't know who his opponent is for his match until we come back from a commercial break, and Leaf Cassidy, a.k.a. Al Snow, is on the ramp, and he's Rocky's opponent. But don't worry about that, because suddenly, out over the entrance walks Bret Hart, who was just here a moment ago, and he moses down to ringside, and he sits down at the announce table, and he sits down, and he spars with Vince a little bit, and we see a shot backstage of Shawn Michaels being helped to the back with ice on his knee, and Brett said, look, I made my point, uh, and I didn't tell Sean to be here. He just came wow. out. So Brett's trying to get away with being like, hey, I, did I invite Shawn Michaels there to get his ass kicked? Uh, no, but he came anyway, the fool, which I like that. And Vince, Vince McMahon is getting emotional here, Joel. He's like, you're throwing away your legacy, Brett. And it's like, dude, like he's getting so emotional. And Brett just looks at him. He just stares daggers at him. He respond. He would have to be censored. Like there's, they're 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 bleeping Sh- uh, Bret Hart out here. I'm not sure exactly what he says, but uh, you know, I, I I was shocked by Vince getting like so emotional so quickly. Here it was like, dude, okay, I got like just just really ratcheting it up. And uh, so we have uh, we have Rocky in the ring. He finishes off Leaf Cassidy with a top rope crossbody, and he pins him one two three. And Bret says something, you know, to Vince where he's like, "You think I'm wickedly bad? I'll show you wickedly bad." And so he gets out for, up from the announce table. He gets into the ring. He attacks Rocky Maivia from behind, kick him in the leg, and attacking it by the ropes. Just completely unjustified. Not like Shawn Michaels or anything like that. Just this nice, sweet kid from Hawaii. Uh, or wherever Rock is from. I know Samoa, but I think it's kind of Hawaiian. Anyway. Um, 
Brett Jaws with fans up the aisle. And he even gives a kid a finger. Did you see that? He gave a little finger. He gave a finger. Oh, some I, kid, I didn't see that. Some kid in a Bears, uh, a Bears, I don't know if he's a jersey or a jacket, but he's like jawing with Brett. Brett gives him the finger. You're like, oh, I wonder what that kid said. He's probably like eight. He probably said like 18,000 offensive things in that one moment. If I yeah. Oh man, I love Brett. Heel Brett here is so good. It's like now he's like you kind of you're just like luxuriating and like ah he's being awful to all sorts of people. I can enjoy this in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And so next up we have Ahmed Johnson versus Savio Vega, which is essentially our main event. You want to you know if you're set on matches being the main event. And we're told that Farouk is in the hospital. He has a separated shoulder and a punctured lung. I will say punctured lung sounds like he should be in the morgue. I know you can recover from that, but it sounds deadly. A punctured lung, yeah. yeah. It's like those – I use those to breathe. One of those popped, I think I would be – they don't say popped. Like, it's <laughs> popped. I could say that, I suppose. And uh, so the Nation of Domination accompanies Savi Vega to the entrance, but they don't go down to the ring. They just stand with them. They just stand at the top of the ramp for the whole match. And it's like, oh, okay, that's good. Uh, at one point, the commentators were talking about Bret Hart, and Lawler says, you know, what he did tonight was gutsy. And I was like, ooh. This is something that's going to be a bit of an issue going forward. Lawler kind of agreeing with Brett doesn't fit well. Lawler and Brett are like, it doesn't matter. They could be, they could agree on everything on earth and they should still want to punch each other in the face. Yeah. I feel like that's one of those that should always be. Yeah. Hate each other. Sacrosanct. You know, when, when Brett turns, he'll have Lawler be a little bit more of a face, like have him be like, kind of lean into that. It's like, that's fine. Um, Yes, we have, we have a moment where uh, Ahmed in this match with Savio, he puts Savio on the rope, he runs and he knocks him to the floor, and they both clatter to the floor. It's kind of this dramatic spot. And we're about to go to commercial break, and Vince is just like, ah, oh, Ahmed might have broken his leg. What? Why would you just throw that out there, dude? Like, you're just, like, speculating on a random injury. We come back for the break, he's completely fine. In fact, Joel, Ahmed Johnson is a flipping senton onto a standing Savio Vega from the top rope. What was your reaction to that? Yeah, I wasn't expecting that in any way. <laughs> the biggest man I've ever seen do a flipping senton from the top rope. Hit, hits it pretty clean. Savio takes it pretty well. Yeah. No big deal. I was like, good grief. Uh, so, yeah, probably one of the most surprising things you've ever seen. That should be clipped and should be on social media. I'm just going to say that there. If it's not me, someone should do that. Did you know Ahmed Johnson went this, did this on Raw once? I was like, yeah, damn. Ahmed, also, he also gets a, a rock bottom on Savio Vega before that was a move. Mm. And... Uh, he also hits a spine buster, and that prompts the Nation of Domination to walk from the top of the ramp to the ring. And Savio gets dragged out of the ring before Ahmed can hit a pro plunge on him, so there's a disqualification. And then Ahmed gets on the mic, and he says, you know, we should just have a match where if you lose, you have to leave the WWF. The Nation of Domination talk amongst themselves, think about it, and they just raise their fists and leave. So Ahmed is like, we should do this thing. And they're like, I don't know, maybe. It's like, okay. <laughs> Farouk's not around to be a focal point, so it's like, that's too bad. And then we go to the back, and Paul Bearer is there. It's like, oh, hey, Mankind, you said your uncle left. Paul Bearer, he's right here. Don't worry about it, buddy. He's right here. And Vince asks Paul Bearer if he can hear the commentators. And Paul Bearer is, like, all worked up. He says, I can hear you, but I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to somebody else. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> Again, emotional. Vince was worked up earlier. Paul Bearer, Paul Bearer seems like he's beside himself. He just can't even handle what's going on in his life. It's like, strange. And so we take a break and we come back and it's time to talk to new WWF champion, The Undertaker. He comes down to the ring and uh, Taker's got a leather cowboy hat on. And I think it looks weird. I don't know if I like the hat, Joel. No, not not a fan of the hat. 
it's I don't I don't hopefully I don't think he sticks with it for very long, but he's had some good hats before. This one is just kind of like I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's all sorts of things, unflattering things I could say about it, but we'll, we'll do that. So Vince is in the ring with him, and he's here to do the interview. And Taker dedicates the title to the fans. He even affirms Sid for being a man. And Undertaker says something that I thought was strange. He says his first title shot, his first title reign was short because he lost his edge. I was like, that's a really weird way to describe the six days between Survivor Series 1991 and this Tuesday in Texas. He lost his edge. That's not, that has nothing to do with what, what happened there. <laughs> I, he just, he didn't have to bring that up. Hey, one time I was champion and it barely mattered. Okay, thanks, Undertaker. <laughs> like, that, that doesn't fit at all to say he lost his edge, does it? Yeah, no. no. And sometimes it's one of those things where it's like, it isn't needed to talk about your first reign. No, it's good. Right. We're good, buddy. We're good. We okay. do not need it. Uh, now he does. Taker does describe mankind as a gladiator who makes him better. And I was like, man, Undertaker's just generous here. Sid's a good guy. Undertaker makes me feel makes me work better. Sure, he sounds like he's like talking about guys in the weight room and he's on like a NFL offense or something like that. Where he's like an O line. He's like, when they bench press, you know, four hundred, I bench four fifty. They make me better. <laughs> and so, with one minute left in the show, Paul Barrow shows up at the top of the ramp, and he gets in the ring. He starts talking on the mic. But Mankind shows up on the Titantron, and Paul Barrow tries to say he did everything for The Undertaker. But then JR shouts that we're running out of time, and in the middle of the main event segment, we are forced <laughs> off the air. And I thought it was hilarious. Oh, man, I started laughing so hard. <laughs> like, to, to hear JR, like, we're running out of time, and then the, it's over. I was like, like Wow. Like it ended to a show which is like I don't know it's intriguing like what I can't even really imagine what was supposed to happen here because you also have Paul Bear coming up but also mankind is like talking over him from the Titan Tron and you're like what so one person should be talking here it should not just be yeah. it was so strange what was supposed to happen if you're going to yeah that's I, what I'm so interested in is where were they going with that right because it's like I had no idea you know what. They were going to tease or hint at, or I had no clue. It might be the start of the Kane thing, but I'm not sure if they hit talk up, start talking about Kane being, you know, his brother coming up this soon. Cause this is, I mean, it's still March 97. Yeah. When does he come? No mercy. Is that in June or is that in the fall? That's October. That's he October, talks about him. Yeah. He's like, cause it, cause it's like, he tells the whole story. And he's like, Kane is coming. Kane is coming. Kane is coming. And then Vince declares and no mercy. No, I say no mercy. It's a total lie. It's bad blood. Sorry, guys. It's bad blood. Yeah. Yeah. Every every that, that, good wrestling that, fan. That's just, gotta. That's gotta, gotta be Kane. That's gotta be Kane. It's like I feel like you're pretty confident, Vince. You're sure about that. Um. So yeah, Joel. <laughs> I'd love to get your final thoughts on the show. Uh, including the amazing, just at the end of the way it did. Uh, and we use a three tier rating system here as well. So I'd love to get you, your thoughts on that. If it's a bad show, we say it's in the dungeon. If it's kind of an ass show, not great, not bad. We'd call it the Night Hard Zone. If you think it was good, you'd say it's a TBT, ITBT, WTBT, EWB. That's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Joel, your thoughts on the show and your rating, if you please. I thought for our purposes of of delving into Bret Hart's last year, this was a great episode to watch to really see that heel turn come into full fruition and then to have them set their foot and their trajectory forward for what this heel run was going to be for Bret Hart. I thought that was, I was really cool to see in Bret. Oh, he's such a great heel. He's such a great heel. I think it, it's really interesting where he, 
you look back on some and you always wonder, would they be a good heel? And I think I would have thought that about Bret Hart in the, in the early nineties, right? Like, I don't think he could have been a good heel or it would have been my thought, but the way right. he's able to do this is so good. He does it so well. And I think it is based in his own personality, right? It is, right. it's, it's his personality turned up to 11 as they like to say, yeah. right? Cause I think Brett is a bit of that, I don't want to call him a whiner, right? But it, but Bret Hart's kind of like that. He complains a lot about things, right? And this yeah. was just him just kind of harness, harnessing that energy, right? And and just kind of put it in front of the crowd, and it worked so well. So I really liked that part. The rest of the show, uh, I to me, was not very good, right? Yeah. So so because of that, with those two kind of opposing forces, for me, I find myself firmly seated in the Neidhart zone, just because what we're here for in Bret Hart's final year was so good for this episode. And I feel like this is a vital episode of Raw to watch and kind of looking through that final year. But just the rest of the episode was nothing. And then having that ending just... In the middle of a segment, obviously, is it down? It's entertaining, but it doesn't really make for a great episode. It's true. I mean, look, you have to tune in next week because what what was that? <laughs> what was it supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, like, I, 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 like when you're talking about it, Joel, I'm like, yeah, this really he, they're calling their shot. It really is Babe Ruth stepping up to the plate, pointing to the grandstands, and that's what we're doing here. Where they're saying, look, we're gonna we're doing this unique thing that's almost never been tried since. That's this pro Canadian anti American stance. Uh, and, uh, I mean, for me, seeing Bret Hart be a heel, say some great stuff, do a bunch of shady things, just being real shady, real heel shady. Uh, and it just the comic ineptitude of the last one for me, it took me to TBT, ITBT, TBT, WBT territory. Cause it I was did. just like, okay. I am entertained. Are you not entertained? I ask myself in the mirror and say, yes, I am. Yes. Uh, Bret Hart and all that sort of thing. So, uh. Let's talk about our bonus match, Joel. Bret Hart didn't wrestle the night. He just kicked the sh- Nikes out of Shawn Michaels at one point. It was great. So let's talk about Bret Hart, Owen Hart, WrestleMania 10. I'll give you guys some context. R- Royal Rumble 1994. Bret and Owen Hart had an opportunity to win the WWF Tag Team Championships from the Quebecers. But during the match, Bret Hart hurt his knee. Referee decided he couldn't continue, so he lost the match. And afterwards, Owen Hart kicked Bret, kicking, kicking him in the hurt knee, Kicking his leg out from leg out of his leg. Yeah. His leg. Exactly. And he turned on him. And even though Bret Hart was stretchered out after that match, he came back later in the night and entered the Royal Rumble match. And it all came down to him and Lex Luger. And they both fell out of the ring simultaneously. And they were named co-winners of the Royal Rumble. So both men were set to face Yokozuna at WrestleMania 10. But there had to be someone who went first. And to be fair, the other guy had to also wrestle a match that night. Because conceivably, you know, well, we'll talk about it. Everybody has to wrestle two matches. Lex Luger wins the toss, so he's going to face Yokozuna first. If he beats Yokozuna, then he will have Bret Hart in the main event. If Yokozuna beats him, and he does, uh, then he faces Bret Hart in the main event. But Bret needed another match. And even though he didn't want to do it, Bret Hart was assigned to face his own brother, Owen Hart, at WrestleMania 10. Bret Hart is reluctant, and we're here. And I like to share the reason why I picked this match. Well, we are in WrestleMania season. You know, we're covering the show right after WrestleMania 13. And uh, this is a great match. We have to talk about it at some point. There's no better time to talk about it than right now. 
Uh, and we will talk about Brett versus Yokozuna at WrestleMania 10 later on uh, in the series as we go. Because we do have to cover – we have to cover all of Brett winning the world championship as well. That just feels right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, WrestleMania 10. We're here. We're at Madison Square Garden. And one of the first things you see in this match, Owen Hart comes out. And he looks fantastic. He's got this great mean mug on his face. He is just he's just laser focused. Eye of the Tiger, Owen being top tier stuff. And it's just great. And we go technical to start, and it's awesome because we already get the story right away because every time Owen Hart gets an edge, he just wildly celebrates. He's, like, thrilled with himself. Every time he gets, like, gets out of something, he's like, yeah, it's good. And then when Brett gets the edge, he gets angry. And we have a moment where Brett sends Owen out of the ring, and he gets incensed, so he slaps Brett in the face as soon as he's back in the ring. And the crowd is hot for this, which I appreciate. Is that The crowd at Madison Square Garden, they want this real bad. And we get Owen uh, gets monkey flipped by Brett. He gets sent out of the ring again. And then Owen starts to head to the back, but Brett comes out and he pulls him back into the ring. And was kind of this moment where this is the part of the match where I was like, okay, I feel like Brett is no longer reluctant to face his brother. Probably because he slapped him in the face real bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably part of it. And so Brett actually slaps Owen back and he rolls him up for two. Now this is I think we talked about this before. I don't know if we talked about it with you, Joel, but um, Bret Hart, throughout his career, never had any issue with trying to roll guys up. He's never he's never trying to be like he's not like I have to win with a sharpshooter. He's like if I beat you anyway, I guess it's part of being a technical wrestler, I suppose. Just saying like, hey, if I can pin you to the mat one two three, that's a win. And I'm not a coward. It just means that I've I've bested you in that way. And so he's willing to slap people and then roll them up. To love is a detail. Uh, and so Owen gets going though. He starts to slam Brett back first into the uh, the post outside. He gets a camel clutch, but Brett gets out of it. And then Owen gets a bridging German suplex for two. Is anybody doing bridging German suplexes these days? I know people do the they do the the multiple Germans. Is anybody doing Germans and then keeping it? And and I don't know if they are. I don't think so. It must be. Yeah, I haven't. I don't think I've. Yeah, the German suplex like Brock Lesnar really took that over. And sure. I don't. I don't. I don't see anyone bridging it into a pin currently. Yeah, I think. Yeah, did I see? Oh, I'm trying to think. On rare occasions, when Kurt Angle or Chris Benoit would do it. I think if they would bridge very rarely, they would finish the bridge, which I think is kind of a nice move here. But mm-hmm. uh, I also I also associated bridging German suplex with Owen Hart. Like when I see him do it, I'm like, that's a signature move of him that is kind of unparalleled. Like this, I feel like did um, did Alundra Blaze, was that her finisher maybe? Anyway, I, for some reason, I also think about it as like a 90s women wrestling thing. But I wonder yeah. if, 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 rest, if, if even you look at it, it as a signature move of Owen Hart, I can see a lot of wrestlers then not doing it. Yeah, maybe. Right. Where it's like where you just don't you don't go into that territory. Yeah. It's like I don't want to be associated. Not like associated is not the the right word, but it's like I want to keep that legacy with Owen Hart. You know, if I was going to be if I was like a Johnny Gargano size guy, I would do something like I would do an insiguri and then like a bridging German suplex. And I would have the announcer say, like, oh, shades of Owen Hart, because I think that'd be sick. Although I know there's also there's also complicated legacy stuff there, but I just think that'd be sick. Mm hmm. Uh, Jerry Lawler says, you know, it'd be so embarrassing if Brett were to lose this match and then have to be in the main event later. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? <laughs> and then, uh, and then Owen Hart just tombstones Bret Hart. Yeah, I, I love see. that. That's like my favorite. Because obviously the tombstone pile driver wasn't the iconic move that it is now. Or, but the, it was the Not that far off though at the time though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Um, now he does now they do the smart thing where Owen follows it up with going to a top rope for a headbutt, uh, but he misses. And so Brett gets out of the way. 
And then this starts. This is where Brett starts cooking. So we have Brett maybe Owen being a little bit foolhardy, and then Brett to take advantage of it. He starts cooking and he gets a second rope elbow, and then Owen goes for a sharpshooter. Brett actually pops him in the face to get him off instead. And then Owen heads outside, uh, and Brett follows him out with a Pescado dive to the floor. And this is one of those things, Joel, where I was like, Pescado. I think that's a Pescado. Let me Google Pescado dive. And when I did, the first thing I saw. The first gift that the internet gave me was that exact moment, that, <laughs> nice. which I've done before. There was when I, when I, when I covered the SmackDown Six era SmackDown, uh, there was a move where I was like, "What is that?" I think this is what the move called, and it was it was like the moment from that SmackDown I was watching, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> okay, weird, in a bad way, but that's interesting." So yeah. yes, he's a Moscato dive. Now, Brett may have hit his knee on the concrete outside though, so we're going back to Royal Rumble where it's like, "Oh, Brett's knee might be questionable here." And so Owen goes after that. He gets in the ring, and he gets this weird figure four variant on Brett, where he's like, he's, they're sideways. I've seen that before. I still don't know exactly what it is. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't, there's a move sure called reverse figure four. It's not that. It's, you're not sure, actually, what it's doing. Right. He see, Brett, Owen seems to have to be pushing his leg against Brett's knee, as opposed to just being like more passive in the move, if that makes sense. Not a yeah. bad thing. It's Because I think there's a point in wrestling where you see moves, you're kind of like, would that hurt? You, whereas here you're kind of like, there's enough stuff knotted up that something looks bad, but I'm not totally sure what it is. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those ones where it potentially looks, it's, yeah, there's knotted up, so I can believe that something's being hurt. Yeah, it seems right. bad. Now, Owen decides to be like, well, whatever. He just gets a proper figure four on Brett, and so that's pretty good. But then Brett does manage to get that flipped over, and they get into the ropes. And so Owen grabs Brett's leg to work it over, but then Brett hits Owen with an enziguri. And I was like, ooh. And I swear, when I last watched this match, I wasn't this attentive to, like, cool storytelling and matches. Because I'm watching this now, and I'm like, this is great. There's, like, three different stories happening here. Brett's hitting mm-hmm. Owen with stuff. I'm like, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. So Brett gets a bulldog. He gets a pile driver, not tombstone, the regular variety. And that gets a count of two. And then Brett takes Owen. He sets him on the turnbuckle, and he climbs up to hit him with a top rope superplex. That takes a lot out of both of them. And so Brett ducks a swing from Owen. He grabs a sleeper hold on on Owen, but then Owen Mule kicks him in the groin without the referee seeing. So Owen got a little bit of cheating there. Uh, he you know he wrestled a little bit dirty, but there's kind of an outright bit of cheating. And Owen grabs a sharpshooter in the middle of the ring, and I was kind of like, oh, this is an interesting move because it's like, what do people think of this? But Brett manages to fall back and reverse it, and then he sets up for his own sharpshooter because if you fall down and reverse it, you can do your own, which uh, factors into it later. Bret Hart match we'll cover <laughs> toward the end of this podcast. Uh, but as Brett has Owen, uh, he's right by the ropes. And so Owen grabs those. And so Owen sends Brett into the corner, but Brett, Brett kicks him on the way in and he sits on the top turnbuckle. And so he's sitting on the top turnbuckle, uh, Owen's facing away from him. And so he puts his legs on Owen's shoulders. So he's sitting on him as so he's in the electric chair position and he goes to roll forward for what's called a victory roll, but Owen doesn't let him roll over and he puts his weight on top of Brett reversing the move. And with Brett stuck under Owen Hart, the referee counts one, two, and three. And Owen Hart jocks the world and defeats Brett Hart to open WrestleMania 10. And after the match, Brett sits up. He's unimpressed with himself, kind of like, wow, he got me. He got me. And we see Owen get interviewed in the back afterwards. He celebrates. He says he doesn't want to take any away from Brett because he's a good fighter. But he cannot imagine Brett being able to go on and win the WF Championship later that night. And we will see on another episode show. Uh, Joel. Coming back to WrestleMania 10, this match, what did you think of it? I don't know if you've had much kind of a relationship with it before, if you've watched it in the last five or ten years, but what was your experience watching it this time? 
I don't think I've watched in the last few, but it's one I've revisited quite a bit. Yeah. I really like it. It's one of my favorites. I'll usually kind of throw this one and the the ladder match kind of on the back-to-back and just kind of sit and enjoy those two matches. But this one, I just... uh, It's one of those matches that do such a good job of making wrestling feel real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, that's always kind of my takeaway from it. And it's not like, but it just, it's fluid. They, it, everything's making sense for what they're doing. Like all the moves are actually like, it would be moves that make sense to win the match and how you're going to beat the guy. And you're kind of telling the story of, of what's going on. And, you know, them working against each other. It just, it's, it's really, really good. <laughs> I think it's really good. Everyone knows that. But uh, I was just reminded, yeah, just of like those moments of like, where it just feels so fluid, where sometimes you watch matches that are excellent and good and you love, right. And they tell a great story, but it, it feels like, perf- like, like you're watching a choreographed wrestling match, right? Yeah. Where there's they're they're trying to tell a story, get their spots and pops in. But this one, it just feels like when you watch it, like these are two guys who want to win this match, right? Yeah. And they're doing these things to do it. And it, it 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 there's not many matches I feel that really feel that way, but this one does. Yeah, there's just a, there's just. There's just a feeling behind it. There's just a story behind it. They do a great job with it. The story is consistent throughout. Uh, it is another great example of a match where it's not really underdog gets beat up and has a comeback, right? You have a thing where both guys get a chance mm-hmm. at it. Uh, it's all it's all fueled by it's just it's very thoughtful. I'll say as well. Mm-hmm. I just I look at that and I just go, man, they've like really thought through a lot of stuff. So, um, yeah, we often get people to rate it. I mean, it's the best. It's it's TBT, 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 etc. Right? Like, I mean, it's, it's unquestioned. No question. Unquestioned. Yeah. Uh, so yes, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it recently, check it out again because yeah, it's just, was, it's, yeah. If you haven't seen it, absolutely. If you haven't seen it recently, revisit it. And especially because when you think this twenty-five-year-old wrestling match. Or almost thirty year old wrestling match now. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. What we got here? WrestleMania ten. Yeah. The nineteen eighty four to almost thirty years. Yeah. It'll be thirty years 30 next year. And just like Gross. how much it holds up, right? Because you yeah. like because on the on the opposite of what I was saying earlier, like I often watch this one and the uh, ladder match, and the ladder match feels dated. Right, it's great, right. it's awesome, but it, it was revolutionary for its time. Yeah. You compare that to a modern-day ladder match, and you're like, that. there's no comparison. But this one you put up with, you know, a match at the Tokyo Dome, a Wrestle Kingdom yeah. that's considered six stars, right? It It feels like it could do that. Right, if you put this match on a Wrestle Kingdom in 2023, I feel like Dave Meltzer would give it six stars, right? That's, I mean, that's a great point. <laughs> like, the, where you watch that, you're like, every match that is supposed to get six stars is a star better than this match. It's like, I, I, I love it, but I, I don't think so. It just, <laughs> it, it has to be. Back when five stars meant this is a perfect match. This is a really, this is a match you look at and you go like, I mean, if there, if there is anything that's not working for this match, I do not know necessarily what it is. Yeah, because otherwise it's just it's 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 it is as close to perfect as you can get, and I'm quite happy with it. Uh, 
So, yeah, that's going to do it for us. I mean, the next show we'll be covering is going to be the March 31st, 1997 episode of Raw is War. We've got Bret Hart taking on Rocky Maivia, so there will not be a bonus match next week. Um, yeah, folks, you can you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, SmackDown and SmackDown Pog. You can also share the show with a friend, especially if they just watched WrestleMania 10 and they want to talk about that. They can just listen to us talk about it. Uh, and you can also review us on Apple Podcasts, uh, which always helps when people find the show. So, uh, Joel, thanks for jumping on and talking to me, buddy. really appreciate it. It was great talking to you about... Uh, the big raw after WrestleMania and also WrestleMania 10's great opener. Mm-hmm. It was a privilege to talk about these two things. You, you, you gave me a treat today, and I appreciate it. I, I'm, I hope I can continue to do so, Joel. I have to, I have to do this now where I'm like, oh, I owe him. I got to do it. Uh, so yes, <laughs> JW, thank you for being on, buddy. Much appreciated. And folks, uh, I hope that whatever's going on in your life, you don't have to wrestle your brother in front of Madison Square Garden. Talk to you next time.